Welcome, True Believer readers, to another episode of Let's Read Spider-Man. And here is a man who is still sad about being one of the few people not invited to Ned and Betty's wedding, my downcast friend, Eddie. How are you today, Eddie? I am sad about this. Literally everyone in the world of Spider-Man is going to this wedding. And it, it has to be the biggest event. Much bigger than Aunt May and uh, Otto Octavius's wedding, right? I thought you would have ranked ahead of Anna Watson. That's all I thought. <laughs> well, she's she's pretty important. So uh, let, let's, let's see how important she actually is. All right, let's find out what happened at this wedding. From May of 1976, Amazing Spider-Man 156, On a Clear Day, You Can See the Mirage by Len Wein, Ross Andrew, and Mike Esposito as the delineator. Yes, great word. And just to make clear, they refer to him as a delineator, which I think is a tailor adjusting clothing sizes. Well, he did a good job at this one. So <laughs> I think, it, think it's the anchor. But just, they made a cooler way of saying it. Hey, they said they said Marv Wolfman's the uh, caterer, so never, a, a few people got different titles. But, but please well, continue with the summary. All right, all right. As Spider-Man lands on the roof of his apartment, he is accosted by one of his greatest adversaries. Mrs. Muggins, his landlady, with powerful blows from her broom, she knocks him off the roof. She is horrified as it appears she's killed Spider-Man, but she can't find a body and tells herself she needs to take fewer medicinal nips to help her mind. Uh, Peter turns in for the night. I, I think Mrs. Muggins is an official adversary of Spider-Man. Yeah, you know, it's funny. You, I, I looked at your summary, Eddie, and I saw how much you denoted to this section of the book and this was kind of one of the better sections of the book so i'm okay with you giving it as much attention as it deserves i'm so glad we we agreed because i was gonna say there's a reason we talk about miss muggins and her broom wielding um elsewhere in the city we see the paranoid drunk wandering the streets once again he declares there's only one person in the world who can help him and stumbles off to find them peter mj jay jonah joe robbie and his family Aunt May, Anna Watson, Liz Allen, Flash, and Harry all head over to the long-anticipated wedding ceremony for Ned and Betty. Uh, but at the venue, a new supervillain, Mirage, shows up to rob all the wedding ceremonies at Morgan's of Malvern. He doesn't count on Spider-Man showing up uh, to stop him, and without too much trouble, Spidey defeats Mirage and his gang. Yeah, so Spider-Man... You know, he defeats all the guys quickly, except for Mirage. Mirage has this ability that he can put a Mirage out in front of them. And then he has an invisibility shield so he can, like, not be seen. Basically, every time Spider-Man dives at him, he's hitting a Mirage. So I'm like, okay, how is Spider-Man going to solve this? You know, he demagnetized the Vulture. He does all these crazy, like, clever things. <laughs> and Spider-Man's like, yeah, I'm just going to drop a huge chandelier so big that Wherever the Mirage is, he's probably going to get hit by it. Kind of a dangerous move, but I assume that nobody else was around when he did this, and the Mirage uh, gets hit by the chandelier. Uh, yes. Thank you, James B. Um, Mirage is defeated. Ned and Betty are able to complete their marriage ceremony. As Betty gets into the car, she throws her bouquet into the crowd, and it is prognostically caught by Aunt May. I am so glad to see Ned and Betty finally married. I'm actually a little surprised because 
you know, we joke about it, but it's, I'm serious, you always don't like Ned and you seem to really like Betty. Why are you so happy they get married? <laughs> you know, it's just one of these long stories and you gotta help me, James B., or we need to call up Travis or Kevin to help us here. How many issues have we been right. waiting for Ned and Betty to get it's married? It's true. It's I, true. It's been it's been lo- longer than probably the Mary Jane Watson reveal. Like it's taken a very long time. I am just happy that they are finally wed, and this story has a new chapter. Uh, there's an epilogue at the end, and we see Aunt May returning home to find the paranoid beggar from earlier in this book uh, in her residence. Thankfully, it's only her one true love. Otto Octavius. <laughs> uh, I'd like to note Sarah, Sarah Pezzel got it right. The paranoid beggar is Otto. Uh, James B., are we sending her a no prize? No, that's not how a no prize works. <laughs> you don't get sent a no prize? You don't get a no prize for guessing what's going to happen in a story, especially uh, a story from 1976. Well, we know the <laughs> We know that Otto Octavius has yeah. to come back. Also, like, every time you looked at the guy, you couldn't see his eyes because he's wearing his glasses. <laughs> like, you know. He no, no, a- no. Do you know what? Real quick for those who don't know what a no prize is. So back in the early days of Marvel, uh, if you and Marvel Comics found something that was a mistake... Uh, it's sort of like when we do our So You Saying There's a Chance, it's sort of like that. If you're like, wait a second, I found a mistake in the issue. You know, Dr. Doom said blah, blah, blah. But in this other issue, it said Dr. Doom, you know, his mother was dead. You know what I mean? And yeah. then they'll be like, well, let me explain. Or if they're like, yeah, you're right. That was a mistake at this point. Huh? You get a no price, which is nothing. But if you don't, um, they usually work their way. It's like, no, no, no. Here's why you didn't understand it. So. Being able to predict a plot point is not a no prize. Oh, all right. Thank you for clarifying that too, James B. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I, you may have noticed from my um, summary, wondered which fight was more exciting, the Mrs. Muggins one with the broom at the beginning or Mirage's chandelier <laughs> ending battle? Well, I mean, I guess he had a little more trouble with Mirage, to be honest, but <laughs> it's because he just fled from Mrs. Muggins. I'm sure he could have defended himself but the fact that she just really just took him right off the roof uh, he wasn't yeah. expecting it his spider sense doesn't go off you know he's got a lot of problems fighting a, a <laughs> landlady with a broom so I, that was definitely the better fight the fight with i, I was really like glazing yeah. over as i was reading the other fight i was like boring 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 you know get to the end it wasn't there was nothing in the other fight with mirage that was particularly interesting the, this whole plot where mirage is showing up to the venue which is a monstrous venue too uh morgan's of malvern uh, it has four separate weddings going on at the same time, and Mirage just goes around with his crew, robbing them all. I, I mean, is no one in the other weddings alerting the police? In the, you know, before they get to the other weddings, it doesn't say, it doesn't say he can run like exceptionally fast. Uh, so I, I was the plot, the fight. Nothing about this was exciting, in my opinion. We should talk more about the epilogue. Okay. So Aunt May goes to her house. Yeah. And here's Otto Octavius, who apparently has been living paranoid on the streets, right? Correct. He's able to find Aunt May's place because he knows where it is, probably? I, I guess so. Is she still living with Anna Watson? I, is she, she takes a taxi. You can't really see. It looks like she takes. She puts her key in the door and she walks in her house. I guess that could be a house. It doesn't really look at from there. Whatever. I'm looking at the perspective of her walking in. But sure, she's in her house. And then he's just sitting in there. He picks her of all people. He's like, oh, 
She's the, well, now, I haven't read the next issue you have. so I, This is totally appropriate, in my opinion. Th- this is his bride. If he was going to go to anyone for help, it should be uh, Aunt May. Okay. Right? Sure. Am I wrong? It seems... I knew I that's where he had to go if he was going to reappear. I mean, they are... They were supposed to be married. Even though that whole thing seemed like a dream to me. <laughs> it, did they get Did yeah. they get married? I don't think so. Uh, no, it was interrupted. Hammerhead interrupted it. But, I mean, they were bride and groom. Okay. So. Well, that's why you keep saying bride. I don't think I don't think she's his bride. There's, I assume they're still engaged now that he's back. They could get married again. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, a panel before that, Aunt May is very concerned. Gracious me, Betty couldn't have been serious, could she? And I'm like, curious about what? I'm looking around. And it's like, goodbye, gang, we're going to miss you. You know what I mean? <laughs> so she's very gracious. I mean, you know, Betty and her both were kidnapped together by Dr. Octopus. Uh, that's true. He was serving them you know, tea, and she was, he was being a gentleman while, <laughs> while they were being kidnapped. It's the man who killed her, who was sort of a really associated with killing Betty's brother. That's true. In some way. You know, the black, uh, blackie, one of those guys probably did it. <laughs> right, for $100,000 to get Oc out. That's right. So. But, you know, when Aunt May catches the bouquet, that was the dead giveaway for me. I knew Otto Octa, because she throws the bouquet on her way uh, out, and Aunt May catches it. And I'm like, this is implying Aunt May is going to get married soon. And I'm like, oh, mm, she's wow, going to be Otto Octavius for sure. In the Let's Read Spider-Man epilogue, you come through at the end. It happens every once in a while. Not terribly exciting, though. Something that is exciting is our sponsor. All right. And I'll give you and the uh, listeners just a moment if you can guess what the sponsor's going to be, but don't say it out loud. Just I'll trust your, you know, do you have your okay. guess in your head? All right, I've got my guess. Listeners, you have your guess? Okay, here we go. Eddie, uh, Mamie Muggins is looking for tenants for her building in Chelsea. <laughs> Although she only has a two-star Yelp rating, that's mostly because her husband Barney doesn't fix things quick enough. Uh, and it's not because of her drinking. Um, so anyway, just you should check out maybe Muggins. Uh, stop searching for unsafe apartments. Come to the woman who defeated superhero, well, I can say which superhero, with a broom <laughs> and some attitude. Mamie Muggins is the landlord for you. So Eddie, uh, are you looking for a, a place to live in New York? Well, An apartment? I mean, I would, I think it's a fair guess to say that the rent is probably pretty low on this apartment, right? Correct. And, and I mean, if, if Mamie's so on top of things, you know, defeating superheroes, she seems like a really good landlady in this respect. She, she's always around. She's around often. So Yeah. Maybe some people might think, looking at the Yelp rating, some people might have thought too often. But, you know, that's, uh, that's mostly I, her husband's fault. I think. I'm going to attribute that to her rather terse way of dealing with tenants and people in general. So... Well, I don't think you're looking for a place in Chelsea, so this doesn't actually apply to you. You know, I'm not looking for a place in Chelsea. But if I was, I, I might I might ring maybe Mogan's if she was willing to pick up the phone. <laughs> you could ring her for other reasons if you wanted, <laughs> as we've discussed in the past. Speaking of the past, I don't know if you remember, Eddie, but back when we started these uh, books, The Amazing Spider-Man number one, uh, had a section in it. There was two parts to it. One part was what if uh, it was what Spider-Man trying to join the Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. You recall that one? I do. Well, well, there is a what if version. You know, what if the Disney Plus show. 
Uh, yes, I've heard of it, yeah. although so it's, I have not seen it. Okay, well, it's based on the comic book of the same name, which uh, the first issue was in February of 1977. So for our second book today, we're going to do another one of our what-ifs, which we've done in the past. Are you ready? Okay. All right, here we go. From February of 1977, what-if number one, what if Spider-Man had joined the Fantastic Four, conceived, written, and edited by Roy Thomas, art by Jim Craig, and Pablo Marcus? Ooh, I'm already excited. We just had Ben Grimm and uh, Spider-Man in some Marvel team-ups, and I love this combination. We begin with the Watcher spinning us into an alternate dimension. Uh, back to Spider-Man issue one, where Spidey goes to the Fantastic Four to see if he can join the crew. When he finds out it's a nonprofit, he leaves. But this time, Sue Storm calls him back. Reed and Sue decide Spidey's additional muscle could help the team. And although Johnny and Ben throw a fit, he's in. Uh, to show his allegiance, Spider-Man peels off his mask and the Fantastic Four see Peter Parker. In a press conference later that day, Reed vouches for Spider-Man, clearing his name, and J. Jonah Jameson steps forward first to publicly congratulate the newest Fantastic Five member. Um, I, I wish we had seen a couple more ramifications of uh, Spider-Man's identity reveal here. Well, he's... This is Amazing Spider-Man 1. Fantastic True. Four are on issue 12. He's not met Johnny Storm yet. He, he meets him. This is like the only time they've met. So it's not like, oh, no, it's that Peter Parker kid. So there really isn't anything to say. He's just like he announces. He's like, I'm just a wallflower <laughs> from Midtown High. And that's it. That's all he is in one issue. I guess you're correct. It's funny how Ben Grimm and Johnny throw a fit, though. I like to be in true character. Johnny Storm still doesn't like Spider-Man, although he barely knows him. <laughs> well, they throw a fit because Reed says, I'm going to bring him in for, you know, like you said, it's kind of for some additional muscle. And the thing's like, look how strong I am. And he's like, look how powerful I am. And then he's like, Reed's like, yeah, it wouldn't hurt to have, wouldn't hurt to have another guy. When would, it, when would it ever be a bad idea to bring another superhero into your team? Even if it was just part time. It's really, it's really weak. He says something like, it might be good to have a fifth guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he says. But uh, please continue with our what if summary. Uh, we see the heroes fight um, the chameleon, vulture, and red ghost. Uh, differently through the eyes of the Watcher. Unfortunately, after the Red Ghost uh, retelling, Sue is kidnapped by a hypnotized Namor, controlled by the Puppet Master. Uh, this scene is pretty sinister, the Puppet Master plays out here. Yeah, this guy is... Uh, this, this guy better be in the MCU movies when they if they make a couple of Fantastic Four movies. He's, he's so good. I mean, Doctor Doom, I get it, but we always go back to Doctor Doom and... We never really get to keep moving along here. He's he's a great villain. Uh, yeah, they show the chameleon, the vulture, and the red ghost because Spider-Man fought the chameleon and the vulture, and the Fantastic Four was fighting the red ghost. These are what was happening like in the next issues, basically, mm, or in the, and the chameleon yes. was like part two. So they wanted to show you the chameleon's like, well, I'm not messing with Spider-Man now. Uh, he had set him up for a crime, if you recall. He was, yeah, uh, you know, he impersonated. He's like, I'm not going to do that anymore because the, the the Fantastic Four can vouch for him, and the vulture's like. I'm going to terrorize the city. And he's like, oh, no, I have to fight the entire Fantastic Five now, you know. And then the Red Ghost. The Red Ghost situation is important because even though our listeners probably didn't read this book, Sue doesn't go on the mission. Yes. They send Spider-Man instead. And that's going to be important later. So, well, but, 
uh, I will continue here. Eventually, the men of the Fantastic Five figure out Sue is a prisoner of Namor's and head into the depths of the ocean to find her. They meet in battle. When the puppet master pushes Namor too far, he awakes out of his hypnosis. Namor, although conscious, is still vying for Sue's hand, and Reed is ready to do battle with him. But when the men went on their last mission successfully without her, Sue decides that they don't need her and sides with Namor. She steps into a device that turns her into an Atlantan. Sue can no longer breathe air, so Namor breaks the protective dome, sending the now Fantastic Four back to the surface and Sue to her new watery world. Uh, thanks for the story, Watcher. <laughs> I rather enjoyed it, James B. Yeah, the um, one of the characters, either Johnny or the thing, say Spider-Man's like, "Oh, I feel bad. Sue's leaving," and they're like, "Ah, eh, she would have left anyway." <laughs> yeah, that's how it would have turned out. It's crazy. Obviously, obviously we we know it would, but that's because Reed Richards is a genius. He can do anything and solve all kinds of uh, problems in the in the whole universe. But he's like, "Sorry, all my ships are built for four. So, so you can't come along. <laughs> uh, yeah, literally. And he can whip up these things in like seconds. And let it be noted, he's got Spider-Man to help him. Now, I know they say in, in while fighting in several of the battles, like we remember Spider-Man defeated the Vulture with his like anti-gravitational device. Uh, Spider-Man doesn't have to create that because the Fantastic Four with him I mean he just doesn't kind of have to work that hard in the same way. So... We're getting a, a very different Spider-Man throughout this book. Uh, yeah, it's the second time today that Spider-Man encountered an opponent who had like some device, and he's like, "Meh, I'm just gonna muscle my way through this." <laughs> Chandelier s- drops, or just like have Johnny Storm blast him with a fireball, right? Yeah, it's you know, it's my least favorite Spider-Man. It's the you know, there was a time scientific. <laughs> there was a yeah, there was a time when he was only slugging it out with everybody, like the Scorpion <laughs> and these guys that were. <laughs> super physically powerful instead of the the test tube spider-man remember i was so excited to look up how many times spider-man was holding a test tube (laughs) for one of our games real quick summary of what i didn't like about this book i didn't like that they stuck so hard to the story that they wanted to show you like we remembered that the chameleon had just committed this crime and look how it affected things differently i understand that's exactly what what if supposed to be about but you didn't have to show me every single fight how it was a little different. Maybe maybe I'm being a little too hard on it there. And then what I did like, of course, is the impact of that if Sue felt a little more resistance to being a member of the group, that she would walk away from it. Now, she also walks away from her brother, let's be clear here, not just uh, her pseudo-lover with you know uh, Reed Richards this early on, but the fact that she's like, okay, you guys got a group, I'll just go with Namor like that quickly. That was a pretty dramatic decision to, to do that. But I understand what they were going for, and I thought that was a stronger part of the book. Did you uh, agree with any of that or disagree? I, I don't mind the retelling of the story. I think it's been a really long time since we thought about those early Spider-Man stories and Fantastic Four stories. So I did enjoy seeing that. And even it was, you know, if we're talking like one panel for the chameleon here and being like, well, I guess I can't go impersonate Spider-Man now. <laughs> uh, that was very fun. And then the Fantastic Four without Sue Storm is such a much worse model. I mean, we know why, because like when you add Spider-Man to the Fant- Fantastic Four, well, as much fun as I like Ben Grimm and Spider-Man in on the same team, it, it's too much. There, there's too much joking around going on there. And it's the same for like Reed Richards and Peter Parker. These are two geniuses on the team. 
We don't need it. I mean, we've seen kind of time and time again, Spider-Man is probably as powerful as the Fantastic Four combined. So putting him on the team, it's just there's so much redundancy that's going on. And losing Sue is like this whole other dynamic to the team that it's it's really critical, not even like from a power perspective. You know, her powers are turn out to be super powerful later on, but how she like approaches problems and situations. So if yeah. you uh, if you do me a favor and just uh, we want to do a little bit of art talk here. And sure. I know the listeners can't, but just real quick, go to the page where it changes over where Sue yells, wait. It's one of the earlier pages. Yes. Where she says, wait. Um, uh, we're used to our Dickos, our Ramitas, our, you know, Ross Cena's, Andrews. Es- yeah, Ross Andrew. Um, I'm not really into this current Spider-Man. He's a little, little, little husky for me, but that's because I'm not used to him. Uh, what do you think of uh, Stronger? He's kind of muscly and... Well, bigger, what do you think? I, I think he's been evolving for some time. It seems like a natural evolution to me. I mean, Spider-Man and Peter Parker, they're getting older, and they've been getting more muscular. I, I rather enjoyed the art. The depictions are really clear and does justice for the characters. So I was really happy to see the illustrations in this book. What I did like about the art, though, is that it starts off with a little bit of a... They drew like a homage to ditko style. Like, you know, they do the, like, Aunt May looking like a Dicko Aunt May. And even the first page, they... You know, they put in images that were almost like from the original Fantastic Four book. Uh, but really, they're just trying to, to yeah. make it fit. Uh, do you think she's holding a plate of wheat cakes there? I'm not. I don't think she is. <laughs> I, I think she is. is. Those are wheat cakes. <laughs> Could be. She's Could handing be them that. to Peter with a glass of milk. <laughs> I, no, I'm going to say no. It's not wheat cakes anymore. It says here are some milk and cookies for you. It oh says no! I, so I'm like, oh, I was so cakes. excited about the weed cakes, I forgot when I was scrolling through. <laughs> well, well right, so be it. If people want to teach you that you need to uh, read the words in the comic before you write your summaries, uh, how can they reach out and tell you that? Email us anytime at let's read Spider-Man at gmail.com or message us and find us on Twitter at let's read Spidey. Uh, it, it's time for the close. I'm Eddie, joined by James B. And remember, listeners, if you want to get married at Morgan's at Malvair, where the Mirage is robbing weddings, make sure you invited Spider-Man to your wedding. Goodbye. Goodbye. see that ned and betty are kind of like out of the books for a while no i didn't really realize that i mean they i know it because in the marvel team-ups that we're about to do in the next podcast that they are uh that there's like a secretary in there filling well in. Should, if anyone deserves a honeymoon or a vacation from the daily bugle <laughs> it's betty brant so yeah, well, she's-